Welcome to the Harbor Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information, visit us online at www.theharborli.com. Merry Christmas, everyone. (laughs) It's the best time of the year, the most wonderful time of the year. If you don't count the first day of school when the kids go back to school, that's the most wonderful time of the year. But this is the, this is the most wonderful time of the year. We're so glad that you're here today, as I said before, and uh, just excited about what God's going to do in this service. We had a great first service today, and we're just, uh, we just love being in, in his presence and being with his people. It's exciting. Um, so we are, we are finishing up our series called Open, and uh, we've entitled today Open Hearted. And that song that we just sang is perfect, Lord, you can have it all, to live our lives open-handed. You know, God, you can have it all. You can have everything that there is. How many here like the Marvel uh, comics movies, like Avengers and all that? You've seen those? All right. So you know that um, when, when the movie is done, um, nobody moves, and the credits start, right? The credits start up the screen, which are boring. And, but nobody moves because with, at a Marvel comics movie, um, you wait for the credits to be done. And then what happens? There's always a, a teaser, right? There's something at the end that, that kind of uh, sets it up. It tees the ball up for the next movie. Uh, we've got a ring up here. If you got, I don't know if you guys can hear that, but I hear it. And um, uh, Thank you. Um, and... Uh, so the, the cool thing about it is if you leave too early, you miss it. But if you can stay through the end, you, you kind of you see what, what the next movie is going to be like. And so those are called post-credit scenes. That's what, the, that's what they call them in the movie business. And it basically uh, gives you what you need to know to propel the story forward. And, um, you know, a lot of times when we read the Christmas story, we read about the manger, we read about uh, the angels singing and the shepherds rejoicing and Mary pondering these things in her heart, and we usually stop there. But I'm here to tell you today that I believe that Luke uh, added a post-credit scene to the, to the Christmas story. And after you read through everything, if you just hang in there, there's another layer here, and it really sets it up for what the future uh, is going to hold. So uh, we're going to pick up the story in Luke chapter 2, verse 22, and um, let's, let's see what happens after the birth of Christ. It says, after Mary's days of purification uh, had, had ended, it was time for her to come to the temple with a sacrifice, according to the law of Moses, after the birth of a son. So Mary and Joseph took the baby Jesus to Jerusalem to be dedicated before the Lord. We dedicate babies up here all the time, and they did the same thing. For it is required in the law of the Lord that every firstborn male shall be a set-apart one for God. And to offer a a prescribed sacrifice, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. As they came to the temple to fulfill this requirement, an elderly man was there waiting, a resident of Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. He was a very good man, a lover of God who kept himself pure, and the spirit of holiness rested upon him. 
Simeon believed in the imminent appearing of the one called the refreshing of Israel, or the Messiah. For the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not see death before he saw the Messiah, the anointed one of God. For this reason, the Holy Spirit had moved him to be in the temple court at that very moment Jesus' parents entered to fulfill the requirement of the sacrifice. Simeon cradled the baby in his arms and praised God and prophesied, saying, Lord and Master, I am your loving servant, and now I can die content. For your promise to me has been fulfilled, and with my own eyes I have seen your word, the Savior you sent into the world. He will be glory for the people of Israel and a revelation light for all people everywhere. Mary and Joseph stood there, awestruck over what was being said about their baby. Simeon then blessed them and prophesied over Mary, saying, A painful sword will one day pierce your inner being, for your child will be rejected by many in Israel. And the destiny of your child is this. He will be laid down as a miracle sign for the downfall and resurrection of many in Israel. Many will oppose this sign, but it will expose to all the innermost thoughts of their hearts before God. A prophetess named Anna was also in the temple court that day, and she was from the Jewish tribe of Asher and the daughter of Phanuel. Anna was an aged widow who had been married only seven years before her husband passed away. After he died, she chose to worship God in the temple continually. For the past 84 years, she had been serving God with night and day prayer and fasting. Can you imagine that? While Simeon was prophesying over Mary and Joseph and the baby, Anna walked up to them and burst forth with a great chorus of praise to God for the child. And from that day forward, she told everyone in Jerusalem who was waiting for the redemption that the anticipated Messiah had come. And when Mary and Joseph had completed everything required of them by the law of Moses, they took Jesus and returned to their home in Nazareth in Galilee. And the child grew more powerful in grace, for he was being filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. What an awesome post-credit scene. Now, there are two people here that are probably the most skipped over people in the whole Christmas story, and that's Simeon and Anna. They are important because they tell us how we can see Jesus, and how we should respond when we do. Their response is everything in this story. And, and so I want to just uh, look at the fact that when the Messiah came, it affected everyone in a different way. His birth, his life, his death, every, it affected everyone in a different way. And I want to just look at four ways that, that, that his birth, his arrival, affected people differently. And so the first one is, if you take a notes, is that his birth prepared one to die. His birth prepared one to die. Let's look at Simeon for just a moment. Simeon, as we read, was, was guided by the Spirit. The Spirit moved him, and so he entered the temple complex at that very moment that Jesus was there with uh, his, his family. They were going to dedicate him. 
he would he, we know that the little bit that we read that he was deeply influenced by the Holy Spirit and and he he listened to God. We know that he was a man that was waiting for the arrival of God. How many of us wait on God anymore? How many of us expect and wait for God to show up and do something in our lives? He was a man that spent his life waiting, looking forward, looking for what was promised to him. We also know that there was nothing special about Simeon. He wasn't a rabbi. He wasn't an ordained minister. He was just a, he was an old man that loved God with all of his heart and listened to the Spirit of God. He was simply just and devout, as one translation says. He walked close with God. And he was a layman. He was just an ordinary guy. You know, you don't have to have an REV in front of your name to do a mighty work for God. God wants all of us. He has an area of influence for all of us. He has a plan and a unique purpose for all of us to do mighty works for the kingdom of God. So Simeon walks up, and, and I think they were probably up walking up these great temple steps at the time. We, we actually saw those steps when we were there, which is mind-blowing. And he walks up and he sees the baby, and he takes the baby in his arms, and he praises God. And he says, Lord and Master, I am your loving servant, and now, everyone say now, and now I can die content. Wow. See, when he said now, that was significant, and I'll tell you why. Because what that was was a declaration. It, it was an announcement that signals that there's a dramatic change that has occurred. It was a decisive moment that has dawned on history and transformed everything. Nothing would ever be the same again. And Simeon's deep faith that he had qualified him to see something incredibly special that few were able to get that close to. See, Simeon, uh, by treasuring God at one level, God gave him eyesight to see something at another level. When, you, when God is your focus, when God is the one that you pursue and you wait on and, and, and you're going after and, and you're open-handed with your life and you're saying, God, you can have it all. When God is your focus, he will speak things to you that maybe others around you don't see right away. I don't know about you, but, but there are secret things of God, and I don't mean this from a prideful perspective because humility is, is, is the goal, but what I mean is, that if, if you're hungry, God will share with you the deep things of his heart, the secret things, the things only between you and him, where sometimes the crowd misses it, don't they? His meeting, the Christ child, was the pinnacle of a lifelong experience and relationship with God. The pinnacle. He says, now I can die. Simeon was ready to die. He had the peace of God because he had seen the future hope of not only Israel, but for the entire human race. And he was holding that baby in his arms. So he, his birth 
was preparing one person to die, and that was Simeon. The second thing is that his life prepared another one to suffer, and that was his mother Mary. And, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but, but he said, a painful sword will one day pierce your inner being. And of course, we know what that was. 33 years later, she's standing and watching her only, or her son, her son Jesus, the only son of God. She's watching him being beaten and crucified on a cross for the sins of everyone. And I think what Simeon was saying, if I could paraphrase it, Simeon's holding this baby and he's prophesying over Joseph and Mary. And, it, and it's interesting here, too, that um, in his prophecy, he's not, inc- he's not including Joseph. It's just Mary he's speaking to, which is interesting because we know that Joseph at some point after Jesus was 12 is, is no longer in the picture. So he prophesies. And what he's saying is basically, Mary, this baby that we're holding right now is going to divide a nation. He's a sign from heaven that marks the end of a neutrality about God. You are either for him or against him. There there will be no middle ground. To some, he brings heaven. To others, he brings hell. Jesus' birth will lift up the lowly and bring down the mighty. He will unite some and divide others. People will love him and follow him or hate him and reject him. Isn't it interesting that even just serving Jesus will bring division in some of your relationships? Have you noticed that? Just by following him, just by mentioning that name, just by, just, just by being different because of the change that he's made in you will cause division among relationships. Not that that's the goal, but just his very presence will bring division at times. It brings division in my life sometimes where God is speaking to me about something in my life and he wants that thing gone and he's, he's wanting to divide because that thing's not good for me and he brings division to my own life sometimes. But the, the, the crazy thing about it is when that happens, I've never been more whole in my life. Simeon knew and understood that Mary and Joseph were just beginning to comprehend. They were just beginning to understand the magnitude of what was before them. He was more than just a cute baby. This little baby was part of a massive plan that had been in place since before the foundations of the world. And you put all of that together, the birth of Christ, the promises in the Old Testament, the, the word that Simeon gives Mary and Joseph, and what you have is a very costly gospel. It's amazing. It's awesome. It's unbelievable. But it's not safe, is it? It's not safe. Simeon does not try to domesticate the Messiah or the gospel, and he's, he's brutally honest. This baby is going to bring hope to some, and it's going to bring scorn from others. The third experience that I see here by the coming of the Messiah, of the birth of him, is that his presence at the temple moved a widow 
to proclaim his arrival. And this is such a cool part of the story that Anna walks up on the scene and, and she burst forth with a great chorus of praise. And she, it says, from that day forward, she told everyone that the Messiah had arrived. What do we know about Anna? Not much more than Simeon. We know that Anna had lived a separated life from the world and lived a life of purity, a holy life. We know that. We know in the little bit that we read that, that um, she had been a widow. She, would mar- she was married seven years. So let's just say she was 14, which would be on the older end. She was 14 when she got married. She was married seven years. Some theologians believe that, that uh, she, after being uh, a, a widow during that time, that she actually um, was a, a widow for 84 years plus the seven years um, and plus the 14. So she could, be, she could be as old as 105, and some believe that the 84 years is exactly the age with everything in there. Either way, she's just flat old. She's old. Like Scott Schneider, who just turned 60 yesterday. Old. Old as dirt. Not, not you, I'm talking about Anna. Um, but what I love about this is that God chose someone to offer a witness for his son who, who chose in her life purity and holiness who chose to set apart her life for God. And, and listen, it wouldn't have been easy for her to be a widow because in those days that was a burden on society and, and, and she would have been pressured or encouraged to get remarried again. In fact, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote about it and said that it's good for widows to get remarried again because it was a burden on the church. And they even at one point uh, appointed deacons to take care of the widow's needs. So I'm sure that there was a lot of pressure for her to get remarried being a young lady. But she chose to live in the temple complex and fast and pray, looking ahead for the coming Messiah. And I just think that's amazing that it was through her prayer and fasting that she gained an insight that few others had. I'm sure she was familiar with the prophecy out of Jeremiah 33 where God says, Ask me, and I will tell you remarkable secrets that you don't know about things to come. I don't know about you, but um, I I want God to teach me things and show me things that are the deep things of God. I want to go deeper. I don't want to just stay in the shallow areas of, of my... I want to go deeper in Him. I, wanna, I want Him to speak to my soul and speak to my heart in a deep way. Isn't that your heart today? What I love about this whole story here is that... Um, and th- this encourages those of us that are getting up there. And that's this. It's interesting, the whole story of Jesus, it started with two old people, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Two old people that gave birth to John the Baptist that, that announced Jesus is coming. So it started with two old people, and then he entrusted two very young people people to, to raise Jesus, and then it kind of 
crescendos here at the temple again with two very old people. Well, you know what I take from this? It doesn't matter what your age is, whether you're young or old, God will still use you. Isn't that exciting? You might be 12 years old, 13 years old in here. God entrusted a 12 or 13-year-old to, to raise the Son of God. And you might be in your 80s. You might be chronologically gifted, as we say. And God might trust you with proclaiming to the world that the Messiah is here. Isn't that exciting? We're never done. She had longed for, for this day many years, and I'm sure that she went through times where she battled with poverty and, and loneliness and depression, but she never lost hope in the God who loved her. And it's a powerful example to me to never give up. No matter what life throws at you, to never give up, because God's timing is perfect, and Anna waited faithfully on her God. And she made her greatest contribution of her life in her weakest condition. You know what? You persevere by doing what you can, where you are, with what you have. Amen. And, and Anna's life tells us that, that age should never be a barrier to prevent you from doing something amazing for the kingdom of God. You're never too young and you're never too old. You're never too rich and you're never too poor. It doesn't matter if you're a woman or a man. All of us play critical roles in the plan of God. So stop making excuses that limit your effectiveness. Start making a difference with the opportunities and resources that you have. I mean, for crying out loud, uh, one, one widow just had a few mites, and Jesus pointed her out as being one of the most extravagant givers that he'd ever seen. Doesn't matter the amount, does it? You say, well, I don't have as much as, so what? That's just another, that's a bigger opportunity for God to display his faithfulness and his provision and his goodness. And finally, um, the fourth thing that I see in this story is that his coming death, and resurrection prepared all of us for a better way, didn't it? That's what it did. And, and I love what when Simeon said, and the destiny of your child is this, he'll be laid down as a miracle sign for the downfall and resurrection of many in Israel. Many will oppose this sign, but it will expose to all the innermost thoughts of their hearts before God. The thoughts of man the thoughts of their hearts are revealed by what they do with Christ. You know, sometimes when we, when we have a decision to make when it comes to Christ and we don't make a decision, that's a decision. And, and so, you know, uh, I, I, I love, like, even when Jesus was on trial and, and, and you know, he, he, one of the, I, I think it was Pilate, said, what, what, what is truth? What is truth? And, you know, the whole dilemma is at one point he goes, what do I do with Christ? What do I do with Jesus? And that's the question that still rings today. What do we do with him? What decision am I going to make that allows him to be God in my life? What decision am I going to make that allows me 
to uh, to be a witness and be an ambassador for his kingdom to a, to a hurting world? What decision am I going to make? My response to Christ reveals the true condition of my heart. And it was this little child who creates the means by which people that are separated by their sins can come back to their God. It was, he was holding this baby. Anna's singing a, a, a chorus. She was probably singing Oceans. And she was singing, and, and that, was, that it wasn't funny, but it was funny to me. It sounded better than, than it came out. Oceans is a Hillsong chorus. See, Patrick would have totally got that, but that, that's okay. I'm just, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But it, but it was through this little baby that sin would be permanently taken care of. It was true. I can't imagine the joy that Simeon would have had just gazing at this child. It's like, I'm going to die now. As I close, the band's going to come, and uh, I want to share with you my post-credit scene in, in the form of a poem. And um, it's, it's, it's a poem by a man named Howard Thurman, and it was called The Work of Christmas, The Work of Christmas. And I hope you enjoy it. It's not very long. It says, When the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and the princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flock, the work of Christmas begins to find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among people, to make music in the heart. The end. Or is it only the beginning? Simeon saw this baby that he was holding as the very reason for his godliness. And he saw this baby as the faithfulness of God, which was basically, God was saying, promise fulfilled, Simeon. And he held him and knew that one day this baby would call people to choose between God and themselves. And that call is still the same today. What will you choose today? Will you choose Jesus over yourself? Will you live your life open-heartedly where you say, God, you can have it all. You can have my heart, my soul. You can have it all. Be Lord of my life. I will let you be at the helm, and I will follow behind you all the days of my life. See, that's, that's the question. What will you do with Jesus today? Could we stand? And I'd like to just... Uh, I'd like to close with a prayer, with, and I'd like everyone to pray it with me, but I'm, I'm speaking to the person today that has never asked Jesus into their life to be their Lord and Master and Savior. You, you've never fully put your hope and your trust and your faith in Jesus. I mean the everyday parts. I mean the, the, the every moment of your, where, where you're like, Lord, you're, you're guiding my life. I'm surrendering to you. 
It's, it's one of the most important decisions you could ever make in your life because it has eternal ramifications for you. And it has, it has ramifications for all of those coming after you. All of those coming behind you. It sets the course. It sets a trajectory that those that come after you will inherit. And so I want to just pray this prayer today. And if you're here today and, and you've never prayed that prayer, I want you to pray this prayer with all your heart and your soul and your mind. It's just a prayer of invitation. Would you guys all pray it with me? Dear Lord, thank you for bringing me here today. At this very moment, I fully surrender my heart to you. I ask you to come into my life, Jesus, to forgive me of all of my sins and to sit on the throne of my life. I fully submit to you. Be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus today, visit us online at www.theharborli.com backslash next step.